The Philippines improved its ranking in the Global Peace Index, or GPI, which ranks 163 independent states and territories and 99.7% of the world's population using qualitative and quantitative indicators. The countries show the fifth largest improvement in peacefulness in this year's edition of the index, increasing by 4.6% from last year. This despite the average level of global peace deteriorating by 0.3%. In this B-side episode, Steve Kalilay, founder and executive chairman at the Institute for Economics and Peace, or IEP, an independent, nonpartisan, nonprofit think tank, speaks with Business World reporter Alyssa Nicole Otan about the strategic ways the Philippines can manage future instabilities culminating from unexpected global events such as pandemics or civil unrest. Thank you again for giving us your time, Mr. Kalilay. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm excellent. It's great to be on your program. The IEP has mentioned in a statement that the Philippines has made strides in its overall peacefulness, stemming from improvements in political stability, declining terrorism incidents, and homicide rates. Can you tell us more about that? Sure. So if we look at the Philippines, actually its peace has improved over the last four years. So it's now ranked 128 on the Global Peace Index, and that's out of 163 countries. And so we look at the improvements, they've really been driven by four different factors. And so if we look at those factors, uh, they're violent demonstrations, political instability, uh, which has improved over that period of time, and deaths from internal conflict, they're down. Now, if we look over the last four years, what we find is terrorism has also improved. Uh, and that's particularly if we look into the northern end of the, the Philippines and down in uh, Mindanao and around there. However, there have been deteriorations. If we look at the areas where deteriorations in the last 12 months, what we'll notice is the number of refugees has increased. But that's a global trend, which we can come back to later. The police rate has risen slightly and the incarceration rate also now, if we're looking at uh, Asia overall, we find that sort of the 10 countries deteriorated, nine improved. So all in all, the Philippines has outscored the other countries in the region. So according to the study, the Philippines' safety and security domain was the most improved in 2022, with the largest improvements occurring in the homicide rate and in political terror indicators. Do you think this improvement has anything to do with Duterte administration's war on drugs? as well as the former president's tough-talking demeanor and strong anti-corruption stance. I think when you're looking at these things, it's a complex issue. And obviously, government plays a very, very important part, and particularly the president. But also, when you look at it, you've also got municipal councils, municipal police departments. You've got the various governments at sort of the regional levels within the Philippines as well. So quite often it's difficult to point to any one thing which causes these changes. I guess from the IEP's perspective, we see these changes coming around because of a number of things which are probably improving Philippines' socio and economic environment. So obviously, probably the work of the president's office is very helpful, but it certainly wouldn't be the only thing. But to, uh, looking forward, obviously, there's a new president, uh, President Marcos, and uh, Sarah Dierte is now his vice president. So the future, I think, is interesting to see how we, uh, the future goes under the new uh, administration. Given Vice President Dierte's experiences in uh, Mindanao, 
particularly DAO, and the experience there with, let's say, things like the 9-11 program and the reduction of terrorism, I think that will bode well for a, uh, proactive and positive policies looking at trying to take away a number of the grievances which give rise to terrorism and a lot of these uh, groups in the first place. You mentioned earlier that IEP was able to observe a lot of changes in the social economic environment. What was the basis of this statement? What we find is there's a number of background conditions which lead to sort of uh, higher levels of peace. And we call that positive peace. So that's the attitude institutions and structures which create and sustain peaceful societies. And when we arrive at that through doing a statistical analysis against the Global Peace Index, and we've got something like 50,000 data sets, indexes, attitudinal surveys that we do statistical analysis against derive at these factors. So the factors come down to a wide range of things. So things like well-functioning government, strong business environment, its acceptance of people's rights, its reason an equitable distribution of resources, and that's more the social contract. It's high levels of uh, human capital. Uh, it's good relationships with uh, neighbouring countries and a range of other things as well. So all these things, a good free flow of information, such as this program now, so that people are fully informed, so they can make better and more accurate decisions. And these things, low levels of corruption, which obviously has been part of the president's uh, mandate over the last four years. So all these things come together and they're the underlying factors which actually create or stimulate peaceful societies. But I think what's more interesting about the positive peace is the other things which are associated with it other than more peaceful societies. And the first one is a stronger economic environment. So, for example, countries which are improving in positive peace, which the Philippines are, have on average 2% per annum higher GDP growth rates than countries that are deteriorating in positive peace. We similarly find that uh, the inflation rates are lower. We find that the interest rates are also lower. In fact, when we're looking at the inflation rates, four times less volatile in countries that are improving in positive peace compared to those which are deteriorating. Foreign direct investment's higher, twice as high. Sovereign debt ratings tend to improve over time, whereas with countries deteriorating positive peace, they deteriorate also. Now, that's just the economic side. So if we look at positive peace, we also find that countries in which are better in positive peace have better measures of well-being and happiness, better performance on a, a measures on a ecological performance, and do much better in a whole range of measures of the development as well. So therefore, in many ways, we use positive peace to describe an optimal environment in which human potential can flourish. So that's the background conditions which create peace. And obviously, government policy around those things is important. So as much as the Philippines has improved based on the report that IEP released, the country still remains the third least peaceful in the region for the second consecutive year, it also stated. So why is that so, and how does that affect the country's economic and political situation? I think there's a number of things. Although we've seen improvements in the homicide rate, the homicide rate in the Philippines is still quite high. It also has a number of different the, uh, militant militias, some of them Islamic in nature, which are also fighting with the state. And admittedly, those situations have improved somewhat, but still like 
global standards there, and particularly within the region, they're still fairly high. Violent crime, it's still reasonably high for the region as well. And so you've got a number of different internal conflicts running in different parts of the country. And a Bentley, it's improved, but there's still reasonably high levels. So these are the these are the background conditions which the new administration uh, needs to look at and address uh, over the next uh, five years during its term. So what aspects should be changed so the Philippines can rise further in the global peacefulness spectrum? Well, I think one of the things which needs to be done, I guess there's models which have come out, let's say places like Colombia. Uh, so if you can really get some of these militant groups and you can get them to lay down their arms, try and incorporate them back in the society wherever possible, that's one mechanism for being able to reduce the high levels of conflict. These aren't easy. And obviously there's a lot of grievances which are left over and they're different ways of being able to look at how do you bring justice into it in the first place. But I think those kind of things are important. One of the biggest issues facing uh, many countries, including uh, the Philippines, is corruption. Obviously, there's been a strong focus on that in the last four years. But certainly corruption, when it exists within the police, is an area which is very impactful on peace, particularly sort of levels of violent crime and also affects the homicide rates because the police then are nowhere near as effective as what they could be in terms of bringing crime under control. Also, the background economic conditions, and I think the next two years is going to be exceptionally difficult. Uh, given uh, the global situation with rising inflation, a uh, constriction in supply chains, high levels of debt, and with the number of the countries' economies also uh, deteriorating. So the next two years is going to be really challenging. But the other factor is sort of how do you improve the lot of the average Filipino from, a, let's say, in terms of the, their uh, per capita income? So if you can, and that comes back to stimulating the economy, economic conditions improve uh, the conditions of the average workers, because certainly we find the countries where the economic conditions are prospering and growing, people are lost, less inclined to fight or to resort to violence to try and make ends meet. So the Philippines, which has close relations with both China and the U.S., has been in a tight spot for years due to the growing economic rivalry between the two superpowers. How do you believe peacefulness in the Philippines will change in the coming years, considering its running issues with China and the South China Sea, as well as its standing neutral defense treaty with the U.S.? This will depend a lot on the, uh, the posture and positioning of the new president and the direction he takes the government. Certainly, there's a lot of conflict, I suppose the right word, between China, the Philippines. That's similar for many other nations within the Indo-Pacific region. And so how this plays out uh, is difficult to see. Uh, it's uh, unlikely in the next couple of years that we're likely to see a full-stage conflict between the US and China, I don't think either country sees it, sees it in its interest. But whether China keeps its posturing up towards the claims of the territory in the South China Sea will have a lot to do on how the relationships, I believe, between the Philippines and China will develop over the next decade. Certainly, the US is going to place more emphasis in the Asia-Pacific over the next decade. We can see that over the last few years. That'll come in the form of economic support. It'll also come in the 
form of a stronger military presence also. And I think from everyone's perspective, the last thing we want to see is conflict or violence break out in the Indo-Pacific region. But do you think that there are huge risks in terms of the country's peacefulness and economic stability, knowing that it's stuck in the middle of these two superpowers, especially because NATO described China as a security challenge as well? Yes. So if we look at NATO, NATO is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. So it really dates back to the Cold War. It's a product of the 1950s, 1960s. And it was really about sort of containing Russia. Now, obviously, the US is the, the major partner in that. Uh, if we look at the uh, European countries and look through the eyes of the EU, they don't uh, have a unified foreign policy. Each country has a separate foreign policy, even though they have got unified currencies and they've got unified trade relationships. They are still separate nations, as is their armies. So the US is really the solidifying force there. So those statements of NATO really sort of come back to the strength which a, a, uh, the US has within the NATO operation. And at, at this given time, with the you know, recent uh, belligerent nature of the, the Russian actions into the Ukraine, they're more heightened on this. I think because of the issues with the supply chains, uh, which we can see coming out of the Ukraine, and coming out of the uh, Russia, this has made the EU further and the NATO members further concerned about supply chains which are occurring, let's say, originating out of China, Japan, Taiwan, and other countries in the Pacific region. What do you think is the reason why there's a global decline in peacefulness? You know, there's so much agitation all over the globe. And what does this mean for the Philippines? So if we're looking at what we find, there's a number of things which have caused the, the decrease in uh, peacefulness. So if we look at it really, and we go back over the last decade, or a bit longer, we'll go back over the last 14 years, peace has declined by about 3.3%. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a reasonable amount. But what's interesting, in that period of time, more countries improved in peacefulness than deteriorated. In fact, if we look at it, 97 countries and 86, sorry, 86 countries improved in peacefulness, while about 76 deteriorated. And what that highlights is that when countries deteriorate, they deteriorate at a much faster rate than what they improve. So improvements are something which tends to happen gradually over a sustained period of time. Now, if we look at it, there are a number of indicators now which are at their worst levels since we started compiling the Global Peace Index 14 years ago. So the first one is the number of the refugees and internally displaced people. That's risen to 88 million people. Uh, it's been rising every year. And so it's risen in the last 15 years, the number of doubled. That's without taking into account the people who are being displaced in the Ukrainian conflict as well. Violent demonstrations, uh, they've been increasing almost every year for the last decade, and we'd expect that to keep increasing. In fact, I'm sitting in Rome at the moment, and there's taxi strike down in Rome over the working conditions. So we're going to see more, more of that over the next couple of years as the ec economic conditions deteriorate. Political instability globally has been on the increase as well. And also the intensity of internal conflict and the number of internal conflicts. 
Now, in contrast to that, actually, people who have died, and this is ignoring the Ukrainian conflict, died from internal conflicts down, but the numbers are up, and a lot of them are low-level conflicts, but the intensity is also slightly up as well. So they're, the, they're some of the major things which have actually caused the deterioration. But on the other hand, there are a number of things which have improved. So terrorism over the last decade, for example, has improved in more countries than it deteriorated. So that's one thing which is good. It did peak in the middle of that period with the Islamic State when it was a captured territory in Syria and in Iraq. But the levels now are better than that were what they were before the rise of the Islamic State. So that's one area of good news. Homicide rates globally have deteriorated. And surprisingly, the levels of militarization in more countries have improved and deteriorated over the last 14 years as well. However, given what's happening in the Ukraine, we'd expect that to change in the years going forward and also because of the rising tensions in the Indochina Sea. How can the Philippines manage future instabilities culminating from unexpected global events similar to the COVID-19 pandemic and the Russian aggression against Ukraine? I think what the government needs to do is create a special task force. That task force then needs to look at emerging threats to both the Philippine economy and it's also its security situation. I think it needs to be able to have a whole of government policy to look at where these emerging threats should be and then to sort of create plans to be able to counter the effects as they arise. Now, obviously, many, so like any future scenarios, we can always look at the demo side of these future scenarios, and that's great for planning, but we don't know whether they're going to occur or not. But actually having the strategic insight to do the planning around them and have the plans is not necessarily expensive. But if the eventualities do turn out to manifest and start to become real, then at least the plans are in place. I think for the next two years, economic management is going to be absolutely key. It'll be very, very important to be able to manage the Filipino economy as best you can through the next couple of years, which will be challenging. You need aggressive year policies to be able to manage inflation. And food is going to become critical. We can certainly see that the uh, price of food has uh, spiked substantially over the last uh, four years, but particularly since the start of the Ukraine war. And so if we look at the number of people now who are facing starvation, this, this information is a little bit out of date. It's been three months old. The number was actually about 80 million people globally, and that was up 25% in six months. And so there's a need to be able to address the needs of the most vulnerable, particularly the very, very poor, and any government action to be able to address a food for the most vulnerable and the most insecure within the Filipino society, I think would go a long way to improving the peace and also to improving the appearance of the government in the eyes of the average Filipino. Yes, thank you so much for your very extensive answers, Mr. Kivaleya. Thank you very much. And that concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard Steve Kalile, founder and executive chairman at the Institute for Economics and Peace, talking with Business World reporter Alyssa Nicole Otan about the Philippines moving up in the Global Peace Index. 
According to Mr. Kilalei, the continued improvement of peace in the country will depend on proper economic management, aggressive policies to tame inflation, and food security for even the most vulnerable Filipinos. This episode was recorded remotely in July 2022. It was produced by Earl Arlegundino and me, Samuel Marcelo. Thanks for listening.